Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Welcome to part two of the previous episode. I'm trying to get a sense of uh, outside of the religious scene. What was it like for you growing up there? Like things you ate, you know, it's interesting. Wow. That your father couldn't get a job. That's insane for me. Like for people in the Western world, perhaps it happened covertly, but it's not so loud or tangible to say that someone cannot, who's a Muslim cannot have a, a job in a Christian country over somebody else who's Christian. So that's that's just amazing contact. So yesterday at the prayer breakfast, I spoke a little bit and there was a reverend that spoke that was very touching. He kept saying, you know, he said that if um, Martin Luther King hadn't stood up for some of the things that were going on, that they would have continued. And then he was given examples and how he wanted better for everybody and how what, what better do we want for us. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, we couldn't resist like that. It just would mean that you just, you know, you get killed. So when you're in that situation, your other option is just to silently plan your way like to leave. And my father-in-law who had said he's never going to leave Iraq. He lived amongst the Muslims. They loved him. They adored him. He loved them. They grew up together. He swore he would never leave there until he got a, a death threat and they threw like a little, not a bomb, but they threw something in their home that exploded And with it, there was a death threat. And he left. He ended up doing what he totally didn't want to do. And so even the ones that were trying to be so loyal to their land and lived very happily and lovingly with their Muslim neighbors were forced out. We're like, no, it's really not up to you. You're, You're out. Here's your death threat. We'll kill your son. You'll will kill your wife and your you know grandkids, and my in laws because they left a lot later than we did. All their homes were attacked. They were all forced out of their homes, one way or the other. I think for immigrants, when people see us working so hard, and people sometimes misunderstand. I I think for us we see what we were like hold held back from seeing or feeling when we. When where we were, and we we're just so grateful for that, and that's why on one hand, you know, we have freedom of speech, so it's okay if people are criticizing the U.S. the way they do because of things, because that's how we maintain where we're like we try to be on top of things and try to be better. 
but at the same time, looking at how far we've gotten with civil rights, with being more diverse and inclusive and all that kind of stuff, we really have to also celebrate that. And for people who come from oppressive regions, not to bring some of these oppressive beliefs with us, it does not help. We left these things. We left those countries because of these things. Yeah. Don't pack those beliefs that we ran away with. Don't put them in your luggage and bring them with you, right? You're not going to take your torn shirts and your dirty clothes to bring them to your new country to start a new life. You're going to bring new stuff or maybe not even bring anything and buy the new stuff here. And that's, I think, what's happening with if I was to give any advice for people coming in. Is first ask, why are you coming here? Is it just for economical purposes? Or are you really coming for to embrace the culture as well? Because it's not fair to come and have this kind of opportunity and just want to take only one aspect of it and, you know, throw out all these other rich and, and all the other things that you're being offered, which helps the economy. I think if you look at the, the regions that are oppressive, if you look at them and then you see uh, that lack diversity, they've really hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. I often say that that's one of the reasons that, that my birth country keeps going backward because when it had the diversity, it used to be Baghdad had the house of wisdom, what was called the house of wisdom. Again, it's the cradle of civilization. All these things, amazing. Uh, the Ishtar Gate was built there. Uh, Tower of Babel, all these stories stemmed from there. But over time, if you're not going to know how to incorporate people, and it's just like one umpire trying to overtake the other, it crumbled. And that's what happens when there's all this fighting rather than building. So why bring that here? And at the same time, for me, for Americans, Yes, while noticing our faults and trying to do better, but really to celebrate all the good things that this country has to offer and being careful not to let go of the things that made this country strong. Like I said, freedom of speech. I never realized how important that is until I realized like how that hit or my father, you know, being sent away. And even when I visited Iraq in 2000, I remember there was some kind of an issue. And when my cousin went to discuss it with with somebody and and power, we have here the opportunity to speak up. But if we're going to like hurt people in in exchange, then people are going to start silencing themselves. And I do believe when we silence ourselves and we hold everything in, then it will come out differently. I think it ends up leading to violence in some kind of way. We're going to end up wanting to hurt somebody somehow for what we've had to endure, you know, what we have to hold back, we'll take out our rage differently. It's better if we verbalize it, in my opinion, and ha- and learn how to communicate rather than the other way around where we are, somebody hurts us or shuts us up. And then we go in in our head, we, we scam away like, okay, how are we going to get that person back or that community back? That's what tribal way is, is that you hurt each other that way. You tell that person, no, you can't do this. You can't say that. And then you just keep fighting, fighting, and it just never stops. You've underlined two things. The fact that when you watch the media 
and how religion can be so divisive to pit people against each other, right? We have to, I think that's an important, if you look at world history and how things are in the world today, that happens all the time, right? But when you travel to other places, you express that your father was, was living happily. My father-in-law, he was revered. He loved his community and they called him a sheikh, which is like a very high position. My husband now, his Muslim friends from college, they're, they have this chat together that they're constantly, he's the only Christian. They have one Mandian and the rest is all this Muslim group that stayed together. I don't know, it's been like 13 years that they just can just joke with each other and talk to each other. They call him on Easter to, you know, and he calls them during Ramadan, like to celebrate with them and to honor them. So, Yeah. That's why I say when I'm talking, I don't want to include the Muslim in that because my best friend, my first best friend was a Muslim that lived across the street from me. Mm. And I'll never forget her because her mom was like my mom. And, you know, and she suffered as well because I asked my mom one day, I said, do you know whatever happened with Niran, like her family? I'd like to try to find her somehow. She said, I don't know. I heard because they, they had some Iranian roots that Saddam like got them out of the country because at that time when the war with Iran happened, he started rounding up all the Shias that had Iranian roots to, to get them out either in refugee camps or just to get them out of the country. So that's why I say, you know, they were not safe from this either. And until now, there's a lot of groups that suffer in Iraq, unfortunately, and that they're not necessarily just Christian, but that whole ideology just doesn't help learning to expand and progress is a good thing. Yeah, I'm glad that you're expressing that, you know, it is possible for different religious groups to live among each other as neighbors, the pragmatic way. We're humans first, right? And we get along, we have close relationships, and we respect each other. Religion doesn't become like the number one thing and, and causes us to kill each other off, right? We're humans first. So I appreciate that, that you're expressing so what was it like for you when you moved at 10, I think you mentioned, and you're now in the U.S.? How was it like for you to adjust? Give us a sense for what life was like living here. Yeah, I mean, you go through all these stages of first trying to fit in, trying to see how to fit in, and realizing that's going to be probably very hard. You're just going to always stick out like a sore thumb. Then you get to a point where you, for a while, maybe act like someone else or not be yourself because you don't even really know what that is. And so you're just kind of following what the culture is like. There's a period also that there's like, you're very unhappy thinking that, you know, you really don't belong here. You want to be in the place that you were born, that you feel you probably fit in the best, Mm -hmm. especially as a woman. And I say that because I think like when the males come here, they go and they just try to acclimate very quickly. And that's because everything is all out to them. They can go out and they can just live the American lifestyle. Whereas women, we don't adapt in that way. And it's not really as permissible. It's not like it's okay. So for them, they're just acclimating very quickly and just jumping in and trying to figure things out. And and we don't get that opportunity. We're still living a Middle Eastern lifestyle in a Western society. And then it's like, okay, well, we're here, what are we supposed to live like? It's a harder decision on us. There's more pressure on us to make these decisions. 
because of the fact that what the male's perspective are on what we should or we shouldn't be doing or society's expectations of us. It's much harder on us to find ourselves and our ways than it is for men who don't have those, the rules to go by. They don't have the Middle Eastern rules and they don't have the Western rules. They're just, everything is open to them. So that was quite challenging because I would get these mixed messages on, on one hand, I'm being told that I have all this freedom and I could be whatever I want. And on the other hand, it's like your culture is telling you, no, women are supposed to be acting this way and that way. So that was a huge, huge struggle until I think, you know, over time uh, with age, with amazing mentors, and I have to say they were Western women who saw the struggle, who really took my hand and just kind of helped me find who I am, that I don't have to be this or that just to really see who I am within. And that was through Lindy Andrews. I got involved with her and her school and her mentors. And, and that was, like I said, over 10 years ago, it was a very healing process because she teaches a lot about ancient wisdom, especially from the female sacred perspective. And it was through that process and that experience that I tapped into the very deep history of Iraq. And from it, I ended up with this book. This is my 13th book. It's called Mesopotamian Goddesses. And I had just stumbled upon Enhadwana, the first writer. Then I started stumbling upon this goddess of medicine, then goddess of justice, then goddess of beer. There was an actual goddess of beer who was in charge of all the priestesses brewing beer every morning. <laughs> then, yeah, you know, the first tablet of beer recipe was found in ancient Mesopotamia. Gula is the great healer. She was always pictured with a dog because they consider dogs very healing. Nanshi, goddess of social justice. And then when I found these, Semiramis, gift of the sea, and I found all these queens and the goddesses, and then I realized, like, you know, now I see I might have been born during an oppressive time, but once upon a time, thousands of years ago, that region had amazing feminine energy. A king had to go through, approved through a, a queen or a goddess to become a king. It was to that point that she had that much power and it deteriorated over thousands of years. But when I discovered them, I thought, oh my gosh, I kind of, I saw the power within me because I always knew there was something in me that was stronger than what was portrayed of, of that land. So it's, it was that conflicting, like, do I really have that in me that I can do these things or that I can do what I want? And then when I found these goddesses, I said, yeah, I just did not know of, of their history. I did not know enough of my lineage. That was very freeing, I think. But you know what? I couldn't have learned that elsewhere, but here. That wouldn't have been made right. available to me. That's so powerful what you're sharing. I had a conversation recently with someone and their comment was, you know, this person works in the refugee field where they go overseas and interview refugees to get, you know, and, and approve for folks to who actually come in. And she said, I wonder for people who are coming from 
different environments with not as many freedoms as are in the United States, how do they actually transition from, you know, being raised in that and conditioned in a different environment and now they're here? How do they balance like being married and then the freedoms of wanting to pursue an education, having children? And so you're expressing some of the struggles that you experience as a woman kind of, you know, balancing the freedoms with what you were conditioned as who you're supposed to be. And so I thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to just say one last thing. And I really appreciate the time that you're giving me to share my story. I think the other struggle was that the West, during different times, they expect you to be something different based on their view of who you are as a woman from the Middle East. So at times you are assumed to be just oppressed because, you know, just automatically that given that you come from there, there's an automatic uh, misconceptions about how the men are in your family, what kind of freedoms or you lack of freedoms you have, what kind of issues you have, depending on, on what the trend is. You are like, I remember in the publishing industry, the industry, they used to always say, we, we're looking for diverse voices. We want voices from ethnic communities. And I mean, I'm as ethnic as they get in that area, right? From that community. And then they said, well, we don't know that this is very marketable. And I remember an editor asking me, you know, these are really great stories, but you know, what would really sell is if you write about honor killing. And I said, okay, I don't, first, I don't know anything about honor killing on a personal level, but then on the second level, that's not my path. I had seen at one point that there was the only stories out there is these, all this negativity about Middle Eastern women. And so that was, I said, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to write real life stories of things that I know, and it's not good or bad, but it's at least authentic. But I saw there was so much resistance to that because I feel like oftentimes the West is comfortable in how certain groups are being identified and then they miss the opportunity to see how we our stories as individuals and not how we are perceived. And that was a big thing for me. I found like you either have Muslim women as something very exotic and like there's this whole whatever around it, or they are oppressed. And the reality is it's not either or, and it's not as simple as either or. We're more complex than that. And there are Christians and there are other religions and there's very modern Muslims and they're very conservative and there's oppressive and there's this. So just to allow us to share our stories on a different level and not necessarily fall into one category is very important. I, I think like if the West really wants to help in that area, allowing us to share our stories in an authentic way and not what they perceive or what they feel comfortable, it would be a huge help because we are still underrepresented. Our voices are still not heard. And I think one of the reasons is because of that expectation of what we should or should not be. That's why we need to tell our own stories. Your community not has done an amazing job at it. And we, are, we have not gotten there. And it's with your help. That's what you're helping us do. Is saying, yes, I want to hear your story. And not interjecting with your perception or not trying. Uh, I've had these experiences too, where you know I'm being interviewed and I can see the 
the host is really trying to bring out one area because that's the area that is most, I mean, I don't know if it's because it's most popular or they're most comfortable, but I can just see the interjection, whereas you're just telling me what is your story and allowing me to be authentically telling it. And it becomes not only healing for me, but it's also for the whoever is going to hear this of this background can feel some kind of a connection and can also feel heard. Because again, our voices, we're, we're fairly new community in comparison to other communities. And honestly, we lack in the arts and culture. We lack in our ability to tell our stories. And again, I think it's, it's because of where we have come from. Personally, I think capitalism has the good and bad, right? I wouldn't give up my life being raised in the cultures and uh, that I've been exposed to because I know there are other environments like different types of economies and different types of freedom, places where freedom, freedoms are less, right? Especially being a female. And so I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, but I realize in the same sense Sometimes the capitalistic mindset of what does it sell? How can we make money from this just really takes away from so much, right? And I, I mean, I get when people, when you're trying to tell your story and they're telling what, asking you like, but really, is that going to sell? Who's going to buy it? That just drives so much. And there needs to be a, a space for everything else, for people just to be who they are, to tell the stories and the authenticity for what they truly are but not try to turn it or put a, pers- a certain perception on it or try to project what you want to project, right, to the world. I'm just happy to hear your story. There's just one final thing that I want to get for our listeners. We hear so much in the media about how, and now it's happening in Afghanistan. I saw a post where they've literally said that women can no longer study anymore. What was it like? For your time, you know, for women in your country, what, what is the experience like? Do they tell you, you were going to school in Iraq. So we're trying to kind of conceive of this world where women can't go to school. What is that like? Oh, tell us a little bit, please. It was not like that when I was in Iraq. And for a long time until, until the fall of Saddam. And the extremists really took this opportunity to come in. They started, women started to be forced to start veiling at that time. People who had the cross, the crosses, their necklaces were ripped right off of them. And I have a friend whose sister-in-law, she was wearing a cross. They ripped the cross off of her and they stabbed her. They killed her. Oh, Yes, there were actually incidences. I thank God I, I wouldn't. You know, they're not direct relatives, but during the attacks on the churches, there were priests that were killed, children, you know, so we heard of a lot of people who things happened to them, but this particular person, because he's an artist, he even did a whole entire art exhibit on her. So I wrote a book about a woman, it's called Pomegranate. We've completed a film right now on it. And it's about a, a Muslim woman deciding about wanting to remove the hijab. It's led by women talent, and the, it's a Muslim family, Muslim Iraqi family living across the street from a Christian Iraqi family. The real-life actors that are playing these characters are from the communities they represent, meaning the Muslim family is all Muslim. The Chaldean family is all Chaldean. Beautiful. I mean, and you know what? We picked them for their talent, but they, God 
blessed us with that to top it off, right? And something happened that was a little bit disturbing, I have to say. I was invited to do a book talk about pomegranate by a, a, a large organization. Then they decided a couple of months before, or like a month or so before my talk. This was my first book cancellation in 17 years. The Muslim community, uh, this was the exact message that the Muslim community, there was a lot of controversy because the woman was trying to decide about her hijab. And because I don't want to give away uh, it, the whole story, but my sense in that was, well, what Muslim community are they talking about? I mean, I'm part of this Muslim community and the Muslims community played in this film. So obviously there's different types of Muslim communities, right? You can't just say the Muslim community. No, there's a certain mentality behind that that does not want to empower women. And it was, I think it was 11 days after that, the Taliban took over Afghanistan. I think it was 11 days after the book talk cancellation. And I watched that and, and the people that canceled were not Muslim, by the way, but they were pressured by the community. That was so disturbing for me because I thought what we're trying to say here, the women that were part of this film and the story itself is saying that, you know what? Women can make choices and we, they can still live within their religion. That's okay. Many have done it. Many have decided to keep the hijab on. Many have decided to take it off. Either way, that's fine. There should not be any kind of force or killing or anything because of that. Then I see what happens in Iran. And I remember our executive producer, he called me. He goes, you could, Scott Rosenfeld, he's uh, the producer of Home Alone. He said, you couldn't have timed this film any better. I said, I didn't time anything. This I started on this project in 2016. But, you know, I always cared about service. I always used my writing as service, meaning I didn't use it to hurt anybody. I was trying to tell our stories to honor us and who we are and so that our names don't just die without at least some kind of documentation. I've also always worked in nonprofit fields for like over 15 years as ambassador of the Authors Guild. I was a president of the Iraqi Artists Association. Right now, I'm uh, executive director of a nonprofit. And throughout the whole way, whoever I, I've picked up artists along the way and they've picked me up to lift each other up we've picked each other up and this is how we got here and like right now even I had a man who was incarcerated that reached out to me he saw the story of pomegranate and the Detroit Free Press and he reached out and all he needed was help to do tell his story this is not on a on my community type of thing the reason I started writing about my community I just wanted to write but I realized oh, okay you know what God had me come or be born in that land for some reason. So this is the stories I'm supposed to tell. But I'm open, I think, like as humans, if a letter comes to you from any person, that's a human being. That's a letter from a human being that's suffering, that wants their story told. And as a human being who writes, I'm automatically going to have a feeling for that. And as human beings, as women, I don't care who you are and what your background and if you're wearing a hijab or you're not wearing a hijab, but I'm going to want to be protective toward you and I want to honor your choices. I hope that this film will be an inspiration and I know it will. Many people are looking forward to it. I feel like women need to be heard and to, to be able to say what they want and how they want it without having like this kind of feeling of threat 
or people canceling them or feeling like, you know, because we've already endured that over there. We don't want to go through this here. We were brought here to have freedom. I don't want to have, you know, like if my dad was to hear about this, he'll think, oh, I didn't bring my daughter here. So as a storyteller, somebody would say, oh, we don't want to hear this and like cancel that out. But, you know, sometimes when it happens and if it happens, a person in this country, again, you have the opportunity to continue. And my advice for any human being that's trying to do good in the world, don't stop. Don't stop. As long as you're doing something good and if you can do something good, let it take as long as it takes, you know, as long as it just does not hurt people along the way, that it's an, something that is inspiring as in, and it's empowering. And for our listeners, the story you're referring to in Iran is where there was a lady who was killed. I forgot exactly what she did. She was killed and it caused an uprising and they ended up changing. Well, they said they've changed the law, right? That prohibits women from doing a particular thing. That's she wasn't wearing to. her hijab correctly. Just imagine not wearing a hijab. She was wearing it but it showed partial of her hair. I'm so intrigued by this. I'm looking for someone who is a Muslim American. Uh, If anybody's listening to come and just, I'll provide the space for you to tell me what your story is transitioning to uh, from environments such as what we're talking about to living with freedoms here in the United States. And what's that like? I I have no preconceived notion of what that is. I just want to learn. I just want our audiences to learn. I make no money from this, right? So I just have provided the space to hear people's stories because they're moving me so much. It's expanding me and my world. And so if there's anybody out there who's listening, I'd love to hear your story. Come and tell me and reach out to me. I can, you know, my stuff is always in the show notes. I could talk to you for hours, Weem. There's so many questions that I have, but I wanted to give you a space to tell us the different books that you've released. How do people find your services? And, or connect with you if they want to collaborate on the work that you're doing. And um, I'm looking forward to staying in connection with you. You're an amazing person. I can already sense your energy, your spirit. Come to Michigan because I would love to show you around because this area I think is very special and different. I just released my 15th book. It's called Little Baghdad, a memoir about endangered people in an American city. And before that was Pomegranate, which was turned into a film. The film is going to start being submitted um, to film festivals uh, like a little bit later this month. The trailer is on my website. You can Google my name. I I have a YouTube channel. It's Weamnamu, W-E-A-M. Last name is N-A-M-O-U. So you can see the trailer. Actually, it's just a two minute and then you can have an idea. I had an amazing, uh, very amazing talent work with me. Um, my books about are about the Iraqi American experience. However, a lot of them provide a lot of value, including like the Mesopotamian goddesses, unveiling your feminine power has a lot of the empowering beliefs that these goddesses stories have. I also, as an apprentice for Lindy Andrews, I was her apprentice for four years in a mysticism school, and I wrote a memoir series about that, that I share a lot of her teachings in. So if you just Google my name and go to my author, Amazon author page, you will see just the various books. And I think some of them, especially the ones, the Mesopotamian goddesses and the one on the mysticism, shamanism, I think you will find them helpful. 
and to end off uh, any particular life lessons that you've learned from navigating living here in the United States that you'd like to pass on to new immigrants, maybe somebody who's in your shoes coming over and trying to adjust to the unspoken rules, just trying to make sense, learning the language, whatever it may be, what advice may you have, something that they probably shouldn't do, whatever you might have to share. My advice would be, you know, to be patient and don't get caught up in the negativity. Don't put yourself as a victim because there's a lot of help that surrounds us. And sometimes if we fall into that victimhood far enough, that's going to become our story. Seek out the people that want to help you and those that are negative and they're discriminatory against you. Just let it in one ear and out the other and just be busy building yourself with the people who want to support you because they are out there. And the more you lean in that direction, the more you will grow in that direction. So just, you know, be patient in the process and then you will find your voice, you will find your place, you will find your dream. From my own experience, again, coming with nothing in my family, yet dreams do come true here. We have to work toward it. It's not a magic pill. So thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed everything, every word out of your mouth, just trying to learn more about that part of the world that we just get a snapshot from the press and we don't really know what reality is from somebody who's walked it. I really appreciate your story and for you being so authentic and vulnerable with us today. So much success with the book and the new film that's coming out. So thanks so much again. Thank you. Have a wonderful day and happy new year to you. God bless you. Same to you. Thank you so much. Tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends family, and circle of influence.